the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. First off today, let's uh, concentrate a bit on the markets. I know a lot of people are feeling a bit nervous these days, and perhaps justifiably so. Uh, We've seen the markets just beaten up over the last many, many months related to not just inflationary fears, but also the increase, of course, in interest rates that while the Fed is attempting to try and cool inflation is perhaps having a chilling effect on the health of the economy. Now, there is some mixed news, and and I will with with great candor tell you that uh, it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. First, good news today, jobless claims are down for the fifth straight week in a row. In addition to that, the August producer price index, essentially the wholesale price, uh, they're related to inflation. Uh, they are now seeing the second straight month of less rates of inflation than had been anticipated. But a lot of this seems to right now, particularly in relationship to last week's 1,200 day or 1,200 point drop, uh, a lot of it seems to be turning on fears of investors that when the Fed meets next Wednesday and Thursday, that they're going to once again increase interest rates. Let's get more on this, and we've got some other things to uh, to talk about, too, related to Amazon being in the news and not in a good way. I'll tell you more about that. Meanwhile, we welcome economist, public speaker, and, of course, the uh, publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily, Jerry Boyer. Jerry, it's always good to have you with us. Craig, it's always great to be with you. Let's uh, let's unpack a little bit of the the most recent news. Uh, boy, we we kind of had bated breath last week when we saw the points, uh, the, the Dow rather drop twelve hundred points in one day, and we've seen from the highs of pushing what was nearly thirty seven thousand, now uh, hovering barely uh, just above uh, thirty one thousand, making some folks nervous, particularly for those of us old enough to remember that the last time we saw over a period of time a six thousand something point cumulative drop was clear back in 2008-2009, I think March of 2009, and it led to a pretty significant wallop on the economy. Now, certainly the numbers are higher these days, so there's less panic, but there are ongoing fears not only related to inflation, but what's the Fed going to do next week? What do you think? Yeah, a 6,000-point drop when it's 36,000, you know, is a sixth. <laughs> when it's 18,000, it's a third. So 6,000-point drop is a little more tolerable now than it was uh, back then, but it's still a problem uh, and a pretty clear recessionary signal. Um, and, I mean, it's been a tough, it's been a tough year. Um, it's been a tough month. Um, and it's really almost entirely driven by Fed policy. Um, and that's a problem. And I'm not saying it's a problem that Fed policy might be pushing us into a recession. I'm saying it's a problem that the Fed is this powerful. So the Fed is now overwhelmingly the largest player in markets, in financial markets. In any given day, um, the, the big buyer, the biggest buyer or the biggest seller is our own government, our own central bank. 
that's managing money, uh, which gives it an incredible amount of power. That's problem number one. Problem number two is it's been given a contradictory dual mandate. Mandate one is, well, you need to fight inflation, which means you need to hike interest rates. Mandate two is, oh, we can't slow the economy down. We can't have a recession. We can't have high, high unemployment. So you need to lower interest rates. So every day, market participants, investors, people like you and me, um, whether we're pros or amateurs, uh, whatever, DIY, uh, we have to sit through the news and uh, every statistic that comes out, we have to ask, not necessarily is this good for the economy or bad for the economy or is this good for business or bad for business, but instead, the one question that matters is, how will the Fed interpret this? In other words, we use, we're looking at these chicken entrails to try to guess, not to try to understand the fundamentals of the economy, but to try to guess what big brother of money the Fed is going to do. And what happened is this week we had an inflation report, which was worse than expected, which means the Fed was going to switch to the fight inflation mandate, which means they were going to be you know, hiking interest rates, they were going to be selling, and that drove down markets. Um, and, of course, when they do that, uh, when they're selling, when they're not putting money into the, into the credit system, tend to hurt markets. Not only does that push down the prices of investment assets, but it also is a signal that there isn't going to be enough credit. And that's why there's a relationship between falling markets and a bad economy. When the Fed tightens too much, not only does it drive down the stock market and the bond market along with it, but it also runs the risk of shrinking credit so that business has to cut back the very definition of a recession. You know, and I, and I have to wonder, in a sense, if the Fed has kind of painted itself into its own corner here. I mean, you look back historically, and, and while we can certainly lay a lot of the current frustration over interest rates and the way the Fed is managing things squarely at the feet of, of Jerome Powell, uh, but uh, his predecessors, both Janet Yellen as well as Bernanke, and, and, and Bernanke, if I think, was kind of given credit for guiding us through the difficulties of 2008, 2009, even though it was a painful experience across the board. Many people's retirement portfolios uh, took a big-time hit, real estate, especially in, in now overheated markets like uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, took a real significant hit. And it just seems as if, you know, there's been this artificially low period of inflation that, uh, I mean, not inflation, of interest rates, that, that maybe almost foolishly they had suppressed for so long instead of allowing the market to do what it does naturally and allowing some degree of, of natural ebb and flow uh, to take place. So now you've got, you know, all of this frothiness going on. And so, you know, is it any wonder that it's got uh, investors spooked and therefore the reason why we saw the 1,200 point drop last week? And I would suspect, as there's talk I'm hearing now, that when they meet to the Federal Open Market Committee meets next Wednesday and Thursday, they may potentially increase the overnight rate as high as another 75 basis points. Now, we've gone from what we're concerned about the Fed might do to what the Fed has actually done. What kind of a what blanket impact is that going to have on the long term health of the economy, do you think? Well, the, the markets are answering that question right now. They're forward-looking, and the markets are voting that it's going to have a negative impact on the economy. And, you know, I'm glad you, you pointed out the, you know, the interest rate suppression, the artificial 
stimulus, uh, you know, pushing down interest rates, uh, basically just, you know, um, buying, 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 driving up the price of assets uh, and creating new money to do it. Because in general, when people are evaluating these Fed chairman, the Bernanke or whatever, right, um, they kind of look at how they handle the crisis, right? We have a crisis and how much should they raise interest? If it's, things are really bad, how much should they lower to get us through the Great Recession, et cetera? And in my view, that is not the right time to be evaluating them. The real time frame to evaluate them isn't how they deal with the popping of the bubble, but the role that they played in creating the bubble in the first mm. place. If somebody makes a lot of terrible decisions, let's say somebody falls into addiction, for example, they have to make tough decisions, right? They might lose their house, they might lose their car, might lose a marriage, they, you know, they have to go into recovery, they have to make all sorts of difficult you know, decisions, and they're really painful ones, and there's no easy way out. The main, but the main thing is not to get addicted in the first place. The main thing is, and easy money is addictive, the main thing is to not engage in financial manipulation to avoid, say, a minor recession or something like that. The main thing is not to pump money into the economy so that we can get a 70% home ownership rate so some politician can brag about it, which gave us a housing bubble, which burst in the Great Recession. Um, the main thing is not to shut down the eco entire economy over COVID and then quadruple the money supply to make us feel better about that. The main thing is not to create the bubble in the first place so we don't have to deal with the, you know, sort of Hobson's choice of, I don't know, how do we get through it? How much do we, how much do we fight inflation and how much do we worry about not causing a recession? Because at, at this point, there are no good options. Every option has pain associated with it. So the Fed, if the Fed fights um, enough um, to beat inflation, it has to cause a recession. If the Fed says a recession is intolerable, then it won't beat inflation. We, we, we no longer have a painless option ahead of us. And I do hope to God that next time, after we're through this crisis, we have the common sense to get the Fed back to its basic function, which is just to maintain the value of the dollar and not, not to monetarily micromanage business cycles. Yeah, you know, the irony, too, we think back to all of the debacle of 2008-2009 with the real estate derivative. Uh, and then, of course, on the heels of that, creating interest rates and money so cheap that it was ridiculous. I mean, when 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 inflation is equal to the to the interest rate, uh, you know that that that's probably great while everybody is making money. But then, of course, we saw the government continue to borrow and spend, borrow and spend, borrow and spend, and you can afford paying off those loans at two percent. Now, when it reaches four or five, six percent, it becomes an entirely new ball game. And I I guess as we look at the current trajectory. I mean, we're we're halfway through the month. That means we're just two weeks shy of concluding the third quarter. And uh, the, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, but isn't kind of the, the, the running definition of a recession is marked by two consecutive quarters of high inflation and market downturn? Uh, you don't need the high inflation. Uh, that just makes it worse. Uh -huh. uh, even if you just, even if you don't have the inflation, two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth is the dictionary definition of a recession. Um, it is the definition of a recession in futures contracts, and it is the legal definition of recession. The Biden administration tried to say when we when they had the second quarter of negative growth, oh well, that's not really officially what a recession is. A recession is whatever the National Bureau of Economic Research says it is. No, that's not true. The dictionary in the law say otherwise. So we had a recession. 
the first six months of this year were a recession. Are we still in one or not? Well, we won't find out for sure. It might be that the third quarter were slightly positive, but you know, this the market is acting like we're probably going to have another dip. So we can have like two months, uh, we can have two quarters of negative, one quarter of positive, and then another two quarters of negative. Um, and you know, that's actually a pretty reasonable outlook. And honestly, I would rather have a short, sharp recession, pop the bubble, find the new level, and get on with life rather than this just ongoing drip, drip, drip of high inflation and stagnation, um, something that Keynesians said was impossible until the 1970s, and they had to invent a new word for it, stagflation. Stagflation is exactly what we have now. And why do we have stagflation now like we did in the 70s? Because we have the same policy mix now that we had in the 70s. It's not bad luck. It's not weather systems. Certain policies lead to certain economic outcomes. A, Car- a Carter economics led to the Carter stagflation, and Biden economics leads to the Indeed so. And of course, you, you couple that with, uh, you know, this this great degree of which things turn on on either fear or greed. And, and currently the meter is in the, the fear category pretty solidly. Then you've got the artificial manipulation going on by the Fed and that sense of uneasiness out there. And, you know, Jerry, when I was a kid and if I would, you know, out playing in the, the park or whatever, would would fall and skin my knee and uh, grandma would put the Band-Aid on when it was time for the Band-Aid to come off. It was always a desire to take it off nice and slowly. And my grandmother used to say, you know what? My advice to you is let's take it off in one full swoop, one fell swoop rather, so that you don't prolong the pain anymore. It might sting for a moment, but then it gets over with and you're on to recovery. And I'm afraid that a lot of folks here would would rather take the approach of pulling the Band-Aid off slowly, which, of course, only exacerbates and exaggerates the length of pain. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves. Jerry Bauer with us today. He is the publisher of Affluent. Investor Daily information available, by the way, on the web at affluentinvestor.com. We're unpacking issues related to current market trends, where things are for just the overall health and, and well-being of the financial life of the average American. And uh, also uh, coming up in today's program, um, we're going to spend a little time talking about Amazon. They're back in the news. In fact, a couple of stories in the news, neither of which are very flattering. We'll get to details on that as our conversation continues as Lifeline continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Jerry Bauer, economist, best-selling author, and the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily is with us today. We're talking about what's going on in the world of money, the markets, and uh, boy, it almost takes a uh, scorecard to keep track of what's happening these days. And, you know, as we were referring to prior to the break, Jerry, in many respects, the, the, the this is kind of a artificially created mess that we're facing, not to suggest that the impact of COVID, supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera, uh, was not something that not just we, but the nations across the planet have been dealing with. My goodness, I read uh, last week that uh, uh, the country of uh, the United Kingdom is dealing with like 11 percent inflation rate during the month of August. So, you know, there's a lot of pain out there to be sure. But a lot of it unique to the United States is really almost, um, I don't know if it's fair to say it is a uh, artificially created uh, crisis, but it kind of leans on that in relationship to what's happened with with Fed monetary policy, doesn't it? Yeah, these are self-inflicted wounds. 
um, it's not fate you know, uh, that, that did this. Um, it's, it's something that we did to ourselves. Um, and, you know, I mean, we're st- you mentioned Britain, you know, 11% inflation. Britain's got a serious problem, and Europe has a serious problem. So we're probably still better off than most of the world. Um, but we're worse off than we should be. Uh, we don't have, we could be a lot better than the rest of the world. And in some sense, what's protecting us, and we're seeing this in markets, is even though we're making a lot of policy mistakes, and the, the chaos in other places is in some ways even worse. And so capital uh, is flowing here. Like, for instance, this week, we had a down market, but the global markets were down more. Um, and the same for last week. So uh, that causes some capital. So if you're, a, if you're a, an investor anywhere on planet Earth, you know, you have to, you have to invest some place, right? I mean, you're trying to provide for your future. And even if things don't look great in the United States, you also have to look around and say, but do they look better here than other places? And you look at Europe, which is essentially going to freeze uh, this winter because of an energy crisis that there's almost nothing they can do about. Um, and that's, uh, that's bad energy policy that goes back a long way. That's bad regulatory policy that goes back a long way. And frankly, that's a mishandling of the eastern border to some degree. You know, a combination of of provocation towards Russia, but also weakness. I mean, it's kind of the worst combination of scream loudly, but don't carry a big stick. Um, and then China, with their you know top-down control and their lies about COVID, and then COVID spreads, and then they have to shut down entire provinces. So the world is worse than us in general, and so that's propping us up. So my my point is, our markets would be doing even worse if we were just being graded on how well we're doing just in isolation. Markets would be down more. But thankfully, to some degree, investors have to grade on a curve. They have to say, how well are we doing compared to the rest of the world? And the rest of the world is so bad now that actually we've got some capital flowing here. Otherwise, things with our inflation would, would be worse and our bear market would be worse. And so would our recession. Yeah, it's just an uncomfortable as they say, picture that's been painted here. And of course, sadly, the ones that are suffering the most is the little guy. It's the man or woman who has money in an IRA or a 401k and was looking forward to retiring maybe in the next year or two. That's probably, if not going to be uh, delayed, or if they proceed with it, they might end up retiring from one job and then, you know, getting the, the, the greeter position at Walmart or whatever in order to be able to supplement their income. And even the Social Security comes out and announces one of the largest cost of living increases in uh, probably our lifetime. You might have to go back to the Carter years, perhaps, uh, to see the last time that they were talking about these numbers. But sadly, even to say, look at that, they're going to get grandma, grandpa's going to get 8% more next year. But when they consider the fact that under the Obama administration, they redefined the way in which Social Security calculates inflation by conveniently leaving out probably two of the most impacted categories by inflation, food and fuel. So if you never eat, never go anywhere, grandma and grandpa are going to be just fine. Aside from that, it's going to be a cold winter. Yeah, it is. It's going to be tough, um, and especially for retirees who don't have much margin. It's always people without margin who are hurt the most. When you have this kind of inflation and this kind of a recession, wealthy people don't change their lifestyle. They don't have to. They don't eat less. You know, they don't. You know, uh, they they you know they just have less 
you have numbers on a spreadsheet, but the poor and middle class, life actually changes. Um, so this really matters to them, which is why I think we're seeing a revolt at the, uh, at the ballot box. Um, and here's the thing. You're talking about the cost of living adjustment for Social Security. Okay, and there should be, right? I mean, we made promises to retirees, and their, their cost of living did go up, and it is a retirement program. It's supposed to compensate them for that, but that has a budgetary impact. So Social Security, you know what? Social, what is Social Security Trust Fund? What does it own? It owns Treasury bonds. What's happened to Treasury bonds in the past year? Treasury bonds have gotten the living snot beat out of them. It is a very poor performing asset class. So the Social Security Administration has to pay more out because of the cost of living adjustments, but its value has been shrinking because it owns an asset class, treasury bonds, which have performed very poorly because of Fed policy. So if you're someone like me who believes that we have a demographic problem leading to a probable social security crisis, these events are an acceleration towards that crisis. We will hit that wall sooner because of the sell-off in treasury bonds and the cost of living adjustment, which increases the outflow from the social security trust fund wow there's a mixed bag here and it, as i said before it takes a scorecard to keep track uh, one final question before we take a break and then i want to uh, switch up our subject matter uh, your sense in terms of the meeting next week thursday and wednesday the federal open market committee will meet i referenced earlier in my opening remarks the possibility of potentially as much as 75 basis point increase uh, do you think it'll be that at least minimally Oh, yeah. Yeah, the um, futures market, skin in the game. Um, you know, markets are smarter than pundits, even though I'm a pundit. So I admit that. So I'm looking at the futures markets. I think 75 basis points is really, um, is, is, you know, the minimum. Given what happened with inflation this week, what happened this week is markets said, 75 basis point hike or maybe 100, inflation is still running pretty hot. So it's 75 or 100. If it's 100, that'll hurt, that'll hit markets. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. That might be the painful thing we need to do to withdraw from the morphine trip of easy money. Um, but, you know, that's still painful. But I would be very shocked if they did less than 75% or 75 basis point hike. So that being the case, that means it's going to cost not only a lot more money to buy a car, it's going to cost a lot more money to buy a home. Uh, the refund market, I think, uh, effectively at this juncture, if, if the final nail hasn't been driven in the coffin, the Fed will see to that next week. And then you're going to see, of course, a significant slowing. Now, this may help to decrease um, housing prices, particularly in overheated markets like the San Francisco Bay Area. But then if conversely, so the prices go down, but then the cost of borrowing money goes up. <laughs> you're kind of still in the same place in terms of real estate, you're aren't you? Of, you're, right, you're not ahead of the game because what you pay is a mortgage. Like you don't actually pay the value of your house. You pay you, you pay a number that's a calculation of the principal times the mortgage amount. So if mortgage rates rise and house prices lower to adjust to that, you're not ahead of the game. You're just you're you're just where you were before. You didn't gain anything. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Well, folks, uh, time to hang on to your wallets, to be sure, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. We're talking about all things related to the markets, the world of money. When we come back, I want to switch up the topic and talk a bit about Amazon. They've been in the news lately and not in a good way. What's it all about, Alfie? We'll find out next as our conversation with Jerry Boyer, the publisher of the Affluent Investor Daily, continues here on this edition of Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You've heard me make a couple of references to Amazon and, and perhaps with bated breath wondering exactly what's going on. Well, a couple of things we can touch on. Uh, first, uh, news today that uh, Amazon's in a bit of hot water with the state of California. The state taking legal action against Amazon. A lawsuit filed against the retail giant for blocking price competition, causing increased prices on the platform. Now, apparently, Amazon had been requiring merchants to enter into exclusivity agreements that severely penalized them if their products were offered for a lower price anywhere else. Maybe you call that a modern-day form of old-fashioned price fixing. I don't know. But in addition to that bit of trouble, there's also a story in the news that is not getting as much coverage, but I think is equally important. A lot of folks are perhaps aware of the fact that when you're an Amazon Prime member at checkout, you have opportunities to support your favorite charity. And I think something like a half percentage uh, of your purchase is then given to or donated to the charity of your choice. And it's a pretty broad list of charities out there that folks can choose from. But suddenly now it seems as if Amazon Smile Program has decided not to smile, but instead frown on an organization that we have been very supportive of. You've heard the folks from Alliance Defending Freedom on this program many, many times. They are a religious freedom advocacy legal firm. They do all their work pro bono, and uh, they're getting a frown from Amazon. Tell us what's going on, Jerry. Well, that's what's going on, um, and they've done it because the SPLPC um, has um, called uh, ADF a hate group. Uh, Research Council. Not, neither of those groups are hate groups, not remotely. They're very mainstream conservative Christian organizations. Uh, ADF, in particular, is very close to the judicial mainstream. How do I uh, how do I know? Because they've won so many Supreme Court cases. Um, even before you know some of the Trump appointees, they were winning um, federal cases. Uh, so very mainstream organization. Um, what happened is the Southern Poverty Law Center became a um, scapegoat per, per hire um, organization. You could go to them, write a big check if you wanted to get them to label some organization you don't like as a hate group, and that was that's all been exposed. The Atlantic, New York Times have talked about it. Um, so it started out as an organization opposed to the KKK um, and anti-African American groups, but pretty much they got to the point where any group which questioned the LBGDQ agenda could be uh, could be labeled a hate group, and of course they went after the effective groups. ADF has won a lot. They've been very effective. Booted them out of the Smile program. Um, I like the Smile program. We participate in it as Amazon customers, uh, but to boot ADF out is a shame. Um, now ADF is doing something. They're kind of like doing something redemptive with this which is that they launched, I'm on an advisory board for this, they launched a viewpoint diversity survey where they're going out to 100 companies and then later larger numbers of companies with a survey that says, do you respect viewpoint diversity for your employees, for your uh, for your suppliers, because Amazon's in trouble with its suppliers, uh, and also when it comes to product, if you're a social media company or you're a bookseller or whatever, do you censor based on content? Uh, so they're deciding not just to go out and grumble in a corner, just to like fundraise on victimhood status, they're saying, oh, we understand now. We've been fighting in the courts, and I would say this to we conservative Christians in general. 
And while that was happening, the left, the ideological extremists, took over the boardroom. We got to go back now and deal with the boardroom. And ADF is doing that, and a lot of other people are doing it as well. Um, and um, I think we can win there. We, we won in the courts. We won a lot with elections, and I think we can do even better. But we can't win if we don't show up and contest that ground. Absolutely. And, you know, Amazon is, you know, the 950-pound gorilla in any room. I don't care what the room is called. And, you know, just to look at this on the surface, uh, way back in the day, um, Southern Poverty Law Center did indeed help target organizations that were kind of running down below the radar screen that had ties to the KKK. I mean, really nasty hate groups that I think everybody and his brother, no matter what your political persuasion, could come to the table and say, ah, yep, no, we all agree that's a hate group but to to lump an organization like alliance defending freedom into that group not because they're promoting hate or racist policies but but simply having a difference of political opinion or simply being that well they happen to be conservative where the board of directors and the leadership of amazon happens to be liberal and and then for the southern poverty law center to have the audacity to come in and characterize them as a hate group i mean that's just a field too far in my opinion it is and let me be blunt about this adf as far as i can tell is protecting people from hate groups. that's right um you know these these people who go out there and say bake the cake or lose your business right or you participate in our gay marriage as a photographer or 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 have your business taken away that's hate because there are plenty of florists who will um, participate in a gay wedding. There are plenty of bakers who will do that. So what's happening is people who hate Christians are going out of their way not to get a cake baked, not to get photos taken, not to get a floral arrangement. I mean, for Pete's sake, you can definitely find people who will do floral arrangements for gay weddings. I assure you. But you find someone who is an evangelical Christian and they know they are and they go in and make a non-good faith attempt to buy services and then when that doesn't work then they bring a legal complaint to put someone out of business now who's the hater in that situation yeah exactly Honestly, and you know the, the irony the person, is that the person who says listen I'll bake a cake but someone else can decorate it I'll bake a cake for you but somebody else has to do the writing oh no that's not good enough do this or, or get, get fined a hundred thousand dollars and have your dream killed. I think we know who the hater is. Well, and you know, the irony here, too, is that, you know, good old-fashioned capitalism used to look at this from the standpoint of if there's a, a firm or an organization out there that you don't want to do business with and you don't appreciate their policies or practices, the easiest way to send a message is to vote with your feet, meaning take your business somewhere else. You don't want to do business with me? Guess what? I don't want to do business with you either. And, you know, I, even the average restaurant has a right to maintain no shirt, no shoes, no service policy. So, yeah, it, it's it's really a field too far, and, and it's sad that things have been taken in this direction. And I think you're right that uh, there, there needs to be some changes, not only in terms of the way Consumers engage with organizations like this, but also in terms of who gets elected on these boards of directors and the kind of 
outlandish decisions that they are making. I mean, there was a day and an age when the average American corporation existed to produce a product, to find a need and fill it, and to provide jobs for people in a given community. It wasn't always about making political statements and engaging in degrees of ideology. You're manufacturing widgets. Just make the widget, sell the widget, and leave the politicking to the politicians. But uh, I guess that's not not good enough for them anymore. Jerry Bowyer, as we mentioned, is the publisher of Affluent Investor Daily. We invite you to get more information about Jerry's good work as well as this wonderful newsletter by going online to affluentinvestor.com. That's affluentinvestor.com. There's Jerry Boyer. Jerry, we appreciate your time. Coming up on 15 away from the hour, that means it's time for me to step aside for a moment, but don't go away. We've got more coming your way. Lifeline continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And back to your calls. The first timer in San Jose, Diane, thanks for holding. You're on Lifeline with Dr. Charles Stanley. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm, I'm talking to you. Um, I don't know where to start. I haven't read your book, but I've read other books that you have. And I just really um, thank God for how he's using you to reach a lot of us. And um, I, I know you have. I have to be fast, but I just wanted to, to say sometimes I... I know God loves me, but um, in the last five years, I've lost both my parents, and I've had a lot of problems with family members, and it's not all their fault. It's not all my fault. It's just that thing that happens when families kind of, I don't know, split up or turn against each other, and it all has to do with, like, you know, the money and the this and the that. And um, sometimes I feel really empty inside because I don't feel like like my family really loves me. And I miss my parents. I'm sorry. It's all right. I just, I don't know how to, um, sometimes it's like, I don't doubt God, but it's, it's like, how come I always feel this way? You know, it never really gets, it's like a hole. I know I haven't given him everything and I need to, but, um, sometimes, like I said, I just don't know how to how he can really it's like I'm not going to be loved by them the way I was loved by my parents and I don't even know really how much they do love me it's kind of a me against them situation I have a lot of friends that are really nice to me but it doesn't replace a family so I I don't know how to get to that point you know, where God you know like people say God needs to be your all it's still hard for me to to grab. Not well, let, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, are you sure that you've been saved? Yes, I'm sure. All right. The second thing, uh, how did you get along with your parents? I got along with them very well. Um, what about was, your father? My father, I was very, very uh, close to, very... I got along with him better than my mom. We understood each other better. I'm the youngest of three, and there's a, a quite a bit of age difference between me and the other two. Um, they, so, I mean, I had a good relationship with my dad. The, the one that I probably didn't have a good relationship with was my mom. She, we were a dysfunctional family, like many people. Uh, she was a manic depressive. There's a lot of things I didn't know that was happening in my family as I was growing up. Kind of just. Did you feel rejected by them? Um, I didn't feel I don't feel rejected but I didn't feel rejected by them. Um, sometimes I felt like my mom caused a lot of problems because of her own illness, mental illness, and now, you know, there's like a big mess and they're gone and 
um, I, I've forgiven her. Um, it's just the relationship with my brother and sister that, you know, is, is hard. It, it, they're not going to be mom and dad, but I feel like, I don't know how to explain it. Well, do, do you feel lonely? Yeah, I yeah. feel very lonely. Well, let me just say this. You can't always control how other people treat you. I do understand that. But the, the most important thing you can do at this point in your life is to develop an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. And I know people say, well, if that doesn't take the place of somebody, I can tell you that there is something about that relationship with, with Him that you absolutely can feel totally contented whether you've lost someone whom you love or not. And it's a matter of, of turning your focus upon Him and not toward those that uh, maybe do not make you feel as loved as you'd like to feel. One thing for certain, God loves you with all of His divine heart. And it's so hard oftentimes for us to feel love for someone we don't see, especially when we can't feel love for someone we do see. And yet, I, I can tell you from experience, I know that no matter what you lose or how people treat you, if you get your focus back on the Lord and get in His Word, and tell him that you need to experience his love. And just tell him, God, I need you to put your arms around me and just hug me tight. You say, well, God, how can God hug me tight when, when uh, I, he's not physical? Because what really satisfies us is not something physical, but something that is spiritual, something that reaches to the depths of our spirit and gives us a sense of fullness and contentment and joy. And I can tell you, no matter what you're going through and who is not in your life, he will be sufficient because he desires to fill you up with himself but you've got listen you've got to get in the word you got to keep stop looking at other people most people don't know how to love you to begin with so you can't expect them to love you oftentimes you have to get in the word and just say lord i need to hear from you i want you to speak to my heart i need to be encouraged god i need to be loved by you and i need to be able to experience and feel you loving me god will not ignore that request Diane, I know it's tough, but I appreciate you um, for calling today right. and, and being so honest and want to encourage you just to, to take Dr. Stanley's counsel, get into God's Word, and reach out to God. And as you do so, uh, you are guaranteed that He will reach back to you. Let's move along next and uh, try to get a few more calls in here before the end of our visit with Dr. Stanley. We'll go next to Castro Valley, and we'll say good afternoon to another first-timer, Aaron. Thanks for holding. Oh, Dr. Stanley, it is so good to talk to you, and I, I just wanted to say that uh, the Lord certainly has used you to get the message to me and i want you to know that in touch ministries is in my prayers thank you uh, sir. dr stanley i wanted to tell you two things the good and the bad and then i want you i want your call on, on what you think is going on here uh i was baptized 24 years ago and uh grew for about four years uh in, in the word and then became a prodigal son for about 20 years and this last year uh last april uh i rejoined the church and uh which was wonderful, placed membership, felt like I'd come home, felt, had the right congregation. Uh, I started, it got to a point where uh, I would get up and lead the congregation in prayer, and uh, I would help in communion, and uh, it got to a point where I preached two sermons in the past year, and I feel like I've just grown tremendously. On the other hand, the day I placed membership, I ended up in an emergency room with about 15 stitches in my face, um, I've been through bankruptcy, I've been through divorce, I've been wrongly thrown, thrown in jail. Uh, five days after I preached my first sermon, I wrongfully was fired from a job. Um, I, I've been in an automobile accident, I've been in an industrial accident. It's been the worst year of my life. Uh, I feel like Job. I, in 
Uh, so I'm sort of at a crossroads now. I'm, uh, you know, out of the job and, and, and pretty down on my knees, but not down on my faith. And I just keep praying, God, what, what are you showing me? What do you want me to do? And, and uh, you know, when you did your, your, uh, uh, your lesson on Second uh, Corinthians 12, 9, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find where, where God's power is perfected in my weakness because I really feel that weakness right now. Well, I would say you you have a right to ask a lot of questions, and I, I wish I could sit down face-to-face with you. But let me say this. When I hear you talk about all these things you're going through, I just want to, get, I want to encourage you by saying this to you. God is getting you ready for something. In other words, God doesn't allow these things, and as much turmoil and adversity you've had in your life, he's not, allowing, he's not sending that in your life to find out what you would do. He already knew that before he allowed it to come. And it just may be that God is preparing you to serve him in a fashion that uh, right now, look, you ask yourself, how in the world could I ever serve God? But you just look what he's brought you through. He has sustained you and loved you and kept you no matter what's happened. And you're still hanging in here and you haven't given up your faith. And even though we don't always understand why God allows so much, I, I, you know, I have been in that place in my life to think, Lord, I don't think this is necessary. And yet, not knowing his mind, it's not for me to tell him what's necessary. But I do believe if you get your focus on him and just say, now, Lord, what is your goal in my life for allowing all this? And I'll tell you something else. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look what Paul went through and then read and then re- rehearse, put down beside on a sheet of paper what Paul did and then put down on a sheet of paper beside what Paul did, what, what you've been through. And then look what God did in Paul's life and ask yourself the question, God, what are you up to in my life? And what is your goal for allowing all these things in my life? Friend, he says, if we'll seek him, we'll find him. God will show you exactly what to do. Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get used to that thorn in my flesh. Uh, and and I, I, I keep hearing, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. And, uh, and, and that's the only thing keeping me going right now. Hey, Aaron, let me ask you, have you run out of God's grace yet? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. And I, and I tell you what, just about the time you need a little bit more extra measure of that, God will come right along and provide it. Right. Dr. Stanley, I'm, I wanted to let you know that, that through all of this, uh, I am preaching a sermon next month on adversity. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll tell you, you can talk out of your heart, brother. <laughs> Amen. All right, Aaron. Take care. Hang tough. Thanks for Thanks. the call. We're going to see if we can't slip one or two more in. We'll go to Atherton. And Frank, a first-timer. Frank, we've got about a minute to spend together, so let's use our time wisely. Dr. Stanley, I just uh, uh, have appreciated uh, uh, your ministry so much. Uh, you've helped me uh, so much uh, during my life and in my life, and uh, uh, w- with my walk with Christ. I just want to say that uh, I love you, and uh, I just think you're great. Thank you, sir. You have uh, uh, really helped me so much, and uh, you've made so much of a difference uh, in my life, and. Uh, I'll continue to listen to you, and uh, I just want to thank you also for uh, being uh, the man of God that you are, and uh, such a a positive mentor and uh, role model for uh, people like myself, and uh, I just want to say that uh, I really appreciate that, and uh, if I ever get a chance to meet you, I I, I surely am going to take it. I was... uh, Riding back home from church today, I heard uh, that you were on the uh, uh, the the KFAX line, and I, I just couldn't pass up the chance to to thank you for all that you've done. 
Thank you very well, much. Well, that's great, Frank. I appreciate the call, and I know that uh, the expressions of appreciation that you fo- show by, for Dr. Stanley are shared by a lot of people here in Northern California and certainly across the country. Thanks again for your call. Finally, we'll slip into uh, the city of Oakland, and uh, we'll ask Charles to come on in and say hello to Charles. Hi, Charles. Welcome. Very good afternoon to you, Craig, my brother. And uh, Dr. Stanley, I just want to echo the statements of love, respect, appreciation, uh, for all that uh, you have allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to do uh, with your life and through your life uh, as you have uh, so greatly impacted me and uh, so many others, uh, friends of mine that I know uh, who have followed uh, your ministry and your teachings over the years. Uh, sir, your honesty, uh, your uh, self-exposure, uh, and uh, your uh, fervent uh, declaration of God's total character, his righteousness, his purity, his love, his grace, his justice uh, is uh, a joy in my life and, and so many others. And I want you to know that uh, your ministry is still impacting uh, new Christians uh, and those who have yet uh, come to Christ. And uh, I just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you very much. You're mighty kind. All right, Charles, I appreciate the call. And uh, Dr. Stanley, I guess we can kind of summarize by saying, isn't it good to know that you're not only loved by the people of God, but you're also loved by God himself? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks again so much for your time. And again, I want to encourage listeners two things. Uh, don't forget to miss the broad or don't miss the broadcast, I should say, each weekday afternoon, 4 p.m., again at 9.30 p.m. here on KFAX. And uh, also In Touch Weekend comes your way Sunday afternoons at 1 p.m. And then the new book, The Reason for My Hope, How God's Grace and Love Will Strengthen, Rebuild, and Restore. And as we've learned today, a lot of people are in need of that uh, strengthening, rebuilding, and restoration. The book is published by Thomas Nelson, available at all 10 Bay Area Western Christian bookstores. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.